Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Shaba Tot. Shaba is the director of the Republican Institute, a liberal think tank in Budapest, and he has written extensively on political aspects of the fantastic and science fiction fantasies. This podcast was recorded on a live setting, so if you do hear some different sounds, please pay no attention to them. And after our conversation, I will go to some of the events organized by ELF to the first week of July. I'm here with Sabatot. Sabat, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, before we start uh, talking about the reason why I asked you to come, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested in uh, political science through the lenses of fiction, and especially this kind of fiction like Game of Thrones? I've, uh, I've always been interested in politics. I'm a political scientist. And I've always been interested in science fiction as well. I grew up on science fiction novels. And after a while, it's occurred to me, well, why don't we combine those two, especially as science fiction and fantasy seems to be all around us. Game of Thrones, Star Wars, all the Marvel universes, they're all about politics and science fiction. So why don't we combine those and why don't we get something out of it? So that's the story. Oh, those are great news because I'll have to have you on the podcast again to talk about Star Wars. We will. <laughs> we can do an entire series of uh, Star Wars and politics. Exactly. But talking uh, today, we're going to talk about specifically about Game of Thrones. And it is said that life imitates art and art imitates life. Uh, when you're thinking about the universe of Game of Thrones, what do you think makes a good ruler? Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there are many rules and uh, there's not one set of ideas what makes a good ruler. And of course, today we live in democracies. So we get to choose who the good rulers are. But before democracies in a universe like Game of Thrones, it goes down to two things. First of all, a ruler should somehow represent the interest of not his voters, uh, but the people uh, who are there, the, the people who want to, uh, who he needs to control. And the second thing they need to do is they need to be effective, even if a ruler uh, wants to have some sort of a, a power, has good ideas. If the ruler is ineffective, then it's not going to be a good ruler. So that's what we see when we're watching a series like Game of Thrones, that duality then. Exactly. So first of all, you have rulers who are very effective, but couldn't really uh, be set to represent the interests uh, of the people. Cersei, she's, she's very effective in some ways, but of course she's a horrible person and she wants to do horrible things with Game of Thrones. And then you have rulers... Uh, who would otherwise be noble rulers, like many of the Starks in the beginning of the series, but they're very much not effective. They don't want to learn the roles, the rules of politics. You need to do both. You need to be compassionate. You need to have the interests of your constituents at heart, but you also need to be effective. You need to deliver the messages that you come up with. And well, how does that translate to real life then, when we look at politics in Europe, for example? What's your opinion on that? Well, you know, in, in, in Europe, I think we have a lot of uh, uh, decent people who want to do decent things. But, of course, we also have a lot of problem with uh, effectiveness. Many of our European leaders lack uh, the effectiveness to carry out their wishes. That is why you see a lot of mess uh, all throughout uh, uh, in, in, in Europe, that you see people, you see democratically elected people who might not be able to deliver that much. How much benevolence do you need to have good governance then, to be a good ruler? And again, drawing from Game of Thrones. You know, one of, the, one of the, the architects of political ideas is Machiavelli, who is sometimes very much misunderstood. He said things like, 
uh, the ends justify the means, which is of course not true in that sense. But it is true that a good ruler sometimes needs to make uh, needs to break a few rules. Just to give you one very specific example from Game of Thrones, Daenerys, who for a very long time seems like a good ruler, Daenerys starts her career by breaking a contract. Uh, the very first army she gets, she gets that army via breaking a contract. Uh, the contract would be like uh, 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 with a slaver and the slaver requests that Daenerys gives him the dragon. In exchange, Daenerys would get an army. What does Daenerys do? Uh, cheats. Uh, gets the army and then keeps the dragon. In fact, has the dragon and the army slaughtered the other party. Now, that's not the way you would normally want to have a contract. You would not normally slaughter the other party uh, by breaking your contract. But that is something she does so that there's a liberation uh, of slaves in that region. She does it so that she actually can become a good ruler. So we would probably argue with our own sense of justice that this was the right thing to do, even if on paper it meant breaking the rules. Those are the sorts of dilemma Machiavelli talked about when with ends and means, and that's what we can learn from Game of Thrones. Can we have a good ruler without democracy? Because you were giving that example of trying to be a good ruler but breaking the rules. How many rules can we break? Can we lose democracy but still have a good ruler? Many science fiction universes, I think, argue for democracy precisely by not having it. Game of Thrones is one of these examples, I think. If you look at Game of Thrones, especially the end, where you sort of have a contest between John, between Daenerys, and between others, uh, that contest is done by force. It's done with dragons, it's done with pillaging, it's done with burning. How easier would it be to just have a vote on, on whether people would like Daenerys or John better and have the losers accept that ruling? So that is something that we would normally see. Now, of course, you don't have democracy in a pre-democracy setting, uh, so you cannot really you cannot really have have a vote there. You can have good rulers, but the problem with pre-democratic systems is a good ruler only lasts for a certain amount of time. How long that ruler lives? The problem in history, the problem in Game of Thrones, is that very often a good ruler was followed by a bad ruler who undid all the good things. You know, there was Marcus Aurelius in ancient Rome, a very good ruler, but then you had Caligula, and then you had Nero, and you had all these bad rulers. If it comes down to people rather than institutions, it's always a problem because no one can really predict uh, wh where the ruler is going to go. You know, there's a saying in political science and political philosophy, if men were angels, we wouldn't need institutions, we wouldn't need democracy, because they would have a moral compass. Unfortunately, men are not angels, so we would need institutions, we would need democracy in a decent time. Well, I'm going to linger here for a minute because I'm really interested in what you mentioned. And when you look, for example, at the United States or look at your home country, Hungary, that breaking of norms, that changing the system, that, you know, uh, mining democracy, uh, how far can we get until then we, there's no return? Um, of course, this, is, uh, this would lead us very, very far away. But I think even today, even with all the problems, even in my country, in Hungary, as long as it is feasible that you oust the people in power, you're okay. And because in the end, that's what democracy comes down to. Do the rulers represent the people and can the people get rid of these rulers once they fail to represent them? And I would make the argument that Trump in the United States or Orban in my country, with all their faults, in a sense, do represent at least some amount of people, whether that's a majority, whether it's 40%, 50%. Of course, it's a very important argument, but it's very different from Game of Thrones, in which we don't know who 
Circe represents. We don't know who Daenerys represents. It might be just 2% of the population or 3% of the population. Without democracy, without institutions to see how those people can be ousted, you never know. So either facing a dragon or either facing you know, uh, the, the, the crumbling of infrastructures, what can people do by themselves? Either you know, politically, socially, uh, and going out to Game of Thrones, uh, of course not in any way, shape or form advocating for violence, but what can people do? Well, in Game of Thrones they do two things. One of them, uh, in the north, uh, John gets killed by his own people. That's uh, that's an ancient medieval custom. The the killing of the tyrant it actually comes from ancient Greece. Uh, it's the only form of sort of democ democratic legitimacy. When a ruler becomes a tyrant, there is some legitimacy in killing that ruler. Of course, that fate falls to John uh, in in Game of Thrones, and but that's a whole different discussion. The other people, the other thing they can do is they can rebel. Uh, they do it in King's Landing uh, from time and time again. They do it with Daenerys' countries. The thing about uh, rebellions is they very rarely work. Uh, uh, in, in our science fiction universes, many of which are, are portrayed on the American Revolution and, and have this American revolutionary spirit, many of these rebellions work. But if you look at history, the, the overwhelming majority of rebellions fail, from slave rebellions to independence rebellions uh, to, to other sorts of, of, of rebellions. Europe is full of failed rebellions or rebellions that succeeded, like the French Revolution, but then created something that <clears throat> not everybody might be very happy about. Well, without making this too much of a Star Wars podcast, because it isn't, it's about Game of Thrones, but I keep going back to the revolution, meaning the rebels against the Empire. And uh, we will talk about that in in a future opportunity with you. Now, you just mentioned uh, the end justify the means. Well, it isn't your expression, of course, it's Machiavelli's expression. How much the ends justify the means then, in your opinion, either in the fictional world and in the real one? I think very often they do. But very often the people who make those arguments, they, they don't mean what we mean. What, I'm, what I want to say is sometimes f for, for rulers, the ends, if they're really noble, there can be some justification. I mean, in Game of Thrones, Daenerys' example is a very good example. She does horrible things, but until the end, I think those horrible things justify her quest. But very often when a politician talks about and uh, justifying the means, they don't mean that. They just mean their own personal power. And that's not what it's supposed to be about. When we talk about ends, justifying the means, it's always important to look at what those ends are. Are those ends really good, noble, in the constituents' interests? Or are they just personal political interests? If they're personal political interests, then I don't think the, the issue stands. If they are noble interests, then that's, that's a whole different story. But still, how far can we go then? Even if you know the interests are noble and the end, it's a good one for democracy, for people. Again, I go back to the norms. How much norms could we break? You know, I, I uh, that that's a, a, a very sensitive question. I can't. I'm, I'm not sure I can give a Game of Thrones example. I can give a real world example. You know, Second World War, the bombing of Coventry, very good example. Churchill had a choice of whether to let the German bombs succeed because then the Germans won't find out that the British broke the code and so the war effort can be successful or save the people of Coventry 
but then the Germans would learn that the British broke the code, which would mean difficulty for the war effort. And there, I think it's a pretty good case of ends justifying the means, even if, of course, that is no comfort to many people who, lo who lose their lives there. But of course, in Game of Thrones, all politicians are cynics. Uh, uh, very often they would they would say, well, ends justify the means, but what they mean is they would justify me being in power, and that's the only goal. In that case, I don't think the statement stands. I have another good example for you, and there's no historical evidence of that, but the other one is a, the attack on Pearl Harbor. There are some uh, some people that say that they knew about it and they let it happen anyway, so... It would be a good example. Of course, we don't know how much we venture into conspiracy theory there. So, <laughs> we, me, you, and I, we don't want to get too much into conspiracy theory. Now, let's talk about power then, and let's talk having the power to come to those ends that we seek. Does absolute power corrupt? Absolutely. I know that is a, a underlying theme on Game of Thrones. How do you how do you think that affected the series? I, I think it does. I think Game of Thrones makes a very good example or at least a very good assumption, that if you become too powerful, two things happen. You either become ruthless, and then, then the absolute power will corrupt you absolutely, or you become weak, and then you fall. And, and I think I, we don't really see in Game of Thrones any other outcome, which I think is a shame, because I don't think that in real life those are the two outcomes. But in Game of Thrones, that's what you see. You have Daenerys starting out as a good person, as a good ruler, then completely losing her mind and going to the absolute power corrupts, absolutely notion, even saying very communist or Nazi revolutionary thing. After she burnt a city, she said, well, I liberated this city and I will continue liberating the whole continent. Those of, th those of us coming from eastern part of Europe are very familiar with these, with these statements. These were statements done by communists or Maoists uh, in China. So she becomes absolutely corrupted. On the other hand, you have rulers who are good rulers, but once they come into power, they cannot deal with that power. I mean, there's John, very good example, becomes a very powerful person, but cannot really do anything with that because he has such noble intentions. And of course, especially in the beginning, the Starks, very good example. They do get power, but because they are not willing to play the Game of Thrones, they die, they fail uh, in their attempts. Uh, so we don't really see any, any good example. Maybe Sansa Stark could become a good example if there's a continuation of the series, but we don't know that yet. Do you think that we can have any example on real life about that? Well, in, in democracies, of course, not on, on authoritarian regimes like, for example, North Korea. I'm just talking about, for example, our reality here in Europe. Do you think we can have a ruler that goes crazy because all the power he has and he changes society in a way that he tries to hold on to that power? Well, you know, coming from Hungary, it would be easy to say. Yeah, uh, it was a trick question. I know. I know it's a trick <laughs> question. So I won't say Viktor Orban. I will say Erdogan, for instance, in Turkey. I think that there's some evidence there that he started out as an Islamist Democrat, but is now, you know, not there. But, you know, it's always difficult to say psychological uh, uh, conditions of, of rulers. I think these things happen in Africa. They happen uh, in the Middle East. They happen with dictators who've been in power for 30 or 40 years. I don't really think they happen in democracies. You do have a, a neighbor, not that close, but close enough, like in Russia. Do you have any analysis on that? Or do you think it's like an illiberal democracy and that, that that's where we stopped? 
you know, Russia, if that's what you mean, uh, and I, I assume you do, Russia is a completely rational actor. I mean, Putin is, is, is a very powerful person, but no one would make the argument that he's in any way crazy or that he was in any way different 20 years ago. So I don't think he was corrupted by power. I think he is building an autocracy in which he assumes more and more power, but acts rationally with that. But of course, rational acting doesn't mean good acting it means it doesn't mean that he is acting for the greater good and and as i said in the beginning that's the big distinction when when you talk about ends and justifying the means what are those ends if the ends are just more power to russia more power to putin those don't justify anything if that that were you know higher standard of living for russians a better life for russians that would be different but we don't see that with many of these autocrats or many of these wannabe autocrats they don't they don't misuse their power so that the people live better. They misuse their power so they have more power or that they stay in power for a longer time. All right. For someone that knows then Game of Thrones world and you follow it very closely and studied it, and all these people, all, all the people listening to this podcast right now and thinking, oh, like Shaba, I also just dived into the Game of Thrones. Where, what can we learn from that universe that will translate to our everyday living? I think the most important thing from a political science perspective is to see people for who they are and to never confuse good intentions with good governance. I think that's that's the important lesson of Game of Thrones. Very often, you know, when Game of Thrones came, uh, in the first season they said, well, Game of Thrones is it's 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 an inverse tale that the bad guys win and the good guys lose. But that's not the case. Uh, the important case is that it happens like it happens in real life. Sometimes good guys win, sometimes good guys lose. Sometimes bad guys win, and, and sometimes those bad guys lose. So just being bad, nasty, doesn't mean you're going to win. Cersei, a very good example. She's a very bad ruler, and then she loses. And then you have bad rulers like Daenerys, who at the very end also lose. But you have also good people, Ned Stark in the beginning, who lose. So it's not about your intentions. It's about your political capabilities. What you want comes down to your political intentions, but what you can actually achieve comes down to how you get play the game of politics. And good people can learn to play the game of politics. And I think that's the most important thing. If you had bad people in the system, if you have bad rulers, you need some of those good rulers to appear Otherwise, the bad guys are going to win. But it is possible for good actors, for decent people, uh, Tyrion in Game of Thrones, even Bran, I think, in Game of Thrones, many other sometimes secondary characters, it is possible for them to influence the affairs. So you should never say politics is for the people who have bad intentions just because you see a lot of people with bad intentions in politics. Politics is for everyone. But of course, if the good people, if the people who have good intentions stay out of it, it is going to be bad. It is going to be cynical. It is going to be just power play. So people who have good intentions should be involved in politics and should not let the game of politics or the playing field of politics just go uh, uh, to actors who have uh, uh, more evil uh, uh, goals, so to speak. So apart from the dragons then, <laughs> and that part is important. It is. Apart from the dragons, do you think that the success that Game of Thrones had was that even at a subconscious level, people were watching that game of chess regarding politics happening? I think 
Yes, and, and I also think it was successful because it mirrored real life. I mean, we all have those experiences. Sometimes in a fairy tale world, we think, well, the good will triumph. And then in our depressed moments, we say the good always fa fails and the bad triumphs. But in reality, it's somewhere in between. Sometimes we're happy uh, with whoever got elected in our country. Sometimes we're sad. It's not always happy or always sad. And I think that's what Game of Thrones captured. Sometimes we cheer for people and then those people die. But then we sometimes cheer for people and then those people defeat their opponents and then we're happy. And that mirrors real life. It's more nuanced. It's more detailed than either fairy tales or, you know, depressed dystopias. And I think that's why, that's why it really catches our psyche. That's why it can really affect us, not just the politics of it, but the whole emotional scene uh, uh, of that mirroring real life. So, spoiler alert now, if you haven't seen uh, Game of Thrones, just uh, hang up now your uh, whatever device you're using and then come back later. Um, there was a, a lot of uh, talk about the ending and some people were very, um, you know, angry about it. Other people were, uh, they were like disappointed. Do you have any take on that? Well, first of all, what, I, what we do here uh, in this podcast and what I do is, of course, speculation and fun. So, of course, it, no one should really take that that seriously. I think that's the most important point. People should not be upset on who rules a continent that doesn't exist. That's, I think, always important to remind our audience. I don't know, Shaba. Some people do live in the, in the, in the fictional world, but... Please continue. I, I know in, a, in our country, you know, that when, you know, famous actors died in the 80s, 90s, when TV came in, people committed suicide because they thought that the character dying meant a, a horrible thing. But having said that, having said that it's speculation and that it would never happen that way, it would never be like, you know, one guy saying, well, this guy, this brand guy should be, should be the king and everybody just uh, agreeing to that. Still, I think it's a good outcome for Westeros. It's a better outcome than either John um, uh, or Daenerys. It's an unexpected outcome. So whenever I talked about Game of Thrones before the last season, no one, practically no one said that, hey, Bran is going to be uh, the ruler. Or everybody said it's going to be John or Daenerys or the two of them together, or they die in an epic battle, or it's going to be Night King. No one really expected Bran. So even if we say, well, the series has uh, made a, a, a big mistake in that regard, surprising us, it, 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 did, it did deliver on the surprise element. And, and of course, I, I mean, Bran might actually become a puppet uh, there or might be a very strong ruler. After all, he might have forecast this whole state of affairs. We might even say he was the guy pulling the strings because, you know, if you see into the future, you see a path leading to you becoming king. Um, then what Bran did was basically saying, look, John, because, of course, he saw the future. He could have said, look, John, Daenerys is actually going to burn King's Landing. And then you're actually going to kill her. So why don't you go talk to her and say, you know, let's not burn the city. Bran could have done that. And maybe that would have changed history. But then he would not have become king. So maybe Bran is this expert manipulator who just let things happen the way they did. Just one last question. Our time is running out uh, in this lovely, beautiful Brussels morning. For you, would you like to see more seasons? Would you like to see the story go by itself? Or do you prefer a moment where things stop and then you just use your imagination like you just did now, now like seconds ago and make up the rest of the story in your mind? I always want more stories uh, 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 because like real life, real life doesn't stop. It, it, it comes back and then there's a new ruler 
and then you have new problems. And that's, I think, also something you, we liked about Game of Thrones. It has a very rich history, going back hundreds of years, and we sort of focus on one specific like 20-year period, but we know the story is going to continue. I mean, maybe in 10 years there will be a civil war. I, I would certainly be interested in seeing, that, in seeing that. There will be spin-offs, but of course other series are exciting as well. I think it's a good thing that on television now you see much better quality, much better... Uh, a much better series which mu with much better screenplays as well. I've, have you ever thought about becoming uh, a screenwriter? No, analyst uh, and, and writing, those are, two, those are two different things. I am involved in certain projects uh, in sort of world, world building and world designing for, for upcoming uh, 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 smaller films. But writing, that's you know, a whole different story. Well, when you do have those things to show, you will come back to the podcast and we'll talk about it. From now, I'm going to thank you so much to talking to me. It was very nice to have this conversation. And all the listeners that were listening to our conversation, I'm sure they got a lot of it. Do you have one, one final message for all the GOT fans out there listening to you now? You know, be patient uh, uh, and understand that sometimes things don't happen the way we want that to happen. And maybe there will be some other series when we can watch and discuss them there. The outcome will be different. Wonderful. Well, Shaba, thank you so much. And we'll continue this conversation. Thank you. I'm back, and even before we go into this week's ELF events, let me tell you that you can also follow us now on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you like this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating. This way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Now for some of the events organized by ELF during this first week of July. On the 2nd of July, in The Hague, in the Netherlands, there'll be a Roth Darndorf Roundtable with a title Towards European Army. Now that the West is becoming an even more fractured concept, the question of European security rises as one of the most prominent issues. Should a NATO dependency continue, or is there more space for bilateral or multilateral military cooperation between European countries? So, European Liberal Forum and D66 International will organize a roundtable discussion about the future of European military cooperation. Our experts from across Europe will offer their views. Then on the 10th of July in Brussels, Belgium, there will be an event called To Be or Not To Be, and this is about EU citizenship. Some questions will be raised during this event, for example, how to reconnect Europe to its citizens by using creative and innovative instruments or how to create a sense of community among more than 500 million individuals. And finally, the European added value of union and citizenship, what, why and how. So following the constitution of the 9th European Parliament in July, the European Liberal Forum therefore invites you to a panel discussion about this and many other questions. I will be back soon with more podcasts, but until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>